Welcome to our weekly recording of the service here at Bigger and Blackmount Churches. I'm Mike Fucella, I'm the minister here, and we are so glad that you could join us. It's my prayer that you will be blessed by the message this week. If you'd like to find out more about us, please do get in touch. Contact me at biggerkirk09 at gmail.com. That's biggerkirk09, all lowercase, at gmail.com. So here's the message this week. Good morning, everyone. Welcome to Bigger Kirk. We are delighted to welcome everyone, and especially any visitors we have this morning. If you're new, whether you're in the building or online, please make yourself known to either the elders or myself. And if you're online, please do uh, get in touch by email. You'll find my contact details on, in the description. We want to know how best to serve you and to make you feel welcome here. Now, since we can lift our voices, let's begin worship this morning with a responsive psalm. I'll read the red type if you will read the white. Let's stand and read this psalm together. Teach me, Lord, the way of your decrees. I follow it to the end. Give me understanding so that I may keep your law and obey it with all my heart. Direct me in the path of your commands, for there I find delight. Turn my heart toward your statutes and not toward selfish gain. Turn my eyes away from worthless things. Preserve my life according to your word. Fulfill your promise to your servant so that you may be feared. Take away the disgrace I dread, for your laws are good. How I long for your precepts. In your righteousness, preserve my life. Please remain standing. Now, it's hard to sing along to a video. I know that. Um, In two weeks' time, on the 15th of August, we are hoping, we are hoping that we will be back to some semblance of normality uh, with live music and us singing together. And we're going back to 11.15 to, to meet together for worship. So, yes, we all look forward to that. But it is contingent on what our first minister says on Tuesday. So please, please be praying that, they, that we'll have a breakthrough, um, not only in terms of the, uh, uh, the law, but in terms of what's happening with this pandemic. Let's turn to God in prayer. And we're going to pray together, since we can use our voices, let's um, approach God with this prayer, and we'll have it on the slide. Let's pray together. God, we gather in your presence. Father, we long for more of you. Jesus, we place you at the center. Holy Spirit, come and fill our time together. Help us to be fully present here to your word, to one another, and to the world you love. 
We pray now the prayer that our Lord Jesus taught us. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever. Amen. Anne's going to come and bring us our scripture reading this morning. From Matthew 5:38 to 48, and I'm reading from the NIV. You have heard that it was said, eye for eye and tooth for tooth. But I tell you, do not resist an evil person. If anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to them the other cheek also. And if anyone wants to sue you and take your shirt, hand over your coat as well. If anyone forces you to go one mile, Go with them two miles. Give to the one who asks you, and do not turn away from the one who wants to borrow from you. You have heard that it was said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, that you may be children of your Father in heaven. He causes his son to rise on the evil and the good and sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. If you love those who love you, what reward will you get? Are not even the tax collectors doing that? And if you greet only your own people, what are you doing more than others? Do not even pagans do that? Be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. Amen. Thanks be to God. I felt there was no better way to begin our reflections on these words of Jesus than with an excerpt from a sermon from Martin Luther King Jr., an expert in my mind on loving your neighbors. And he ends with a prayer. Let's, let's watch Martin Luther King. That is a little tree planted on a little hill and on that tree hangs the most influential character that ever came in this world. Never feel that that tree is a meaningless drama that took place on the stages of history. Oh no, it is a telescope through which we look out into the long distance of eternity. See the love of God breaking forth into time. It is an eternal reminder to a power drunk generation that love is on the way. It is an eternal reminder to a generation depending on nuclear and atomic energy 
a generation depending on physical violence, that love is the only creative, redemptive, transforming power in the universe. So this morning, as I look into your eyes, and into the eyes of all my brothers in Alabama and all over America and over the world, I say to you, I love you. I would rather die than hate you. And I'm foolish enough to believe that through the power of this love somewhere, many of the most recalcitrant events will be transformed. And then we will be in God's kingdom. We will be able to matriculate into the university of eternal life because we have the power to love our enemies, to bless those persons of curses, to even decide to be good to those persons who hated us. We even pray for those persons who despitefully used us. Oh God, help us in our lives and in all of our attitudes to work out this controlling force to love and this controlling power that can solve every problem that we confront in all areas. Let us join together in a great fellowship of love and bow down to the feet of Jesus. Give us this strong determination in the name and spirit of this Christ we pray. Amen. That could be our sermon this morning. No greater advocate, no greater person who understood what loving his enemies was all about. But I do have some things I would like to add to Martin Luther King. Ten weeks into our series on the Sermon on the Mount, this boot camp for the followers of Jesus... He has taken us on a roller coaster ride. And I know that what Jesus has said has touched some sore points for some folks. A number of you have written to me and told me how God, through His Spirit, has been using these words of Jesus to bring stuff up in your life that needed dealing with. And you've told me how God, through that same Spirit, has been helping you to deal with those things. And bringing you healing, allowing you to forgive others and yourself, and setting you free from the past. I am so encouraged. And I praise God for that and for your messages to me to let me share in what God is doing. Again, let me reiterate, if anyone would like to have a chat about anything that comes up through what we read and consider here, please, please do get in touch with me. My door is always open to have a chat and a prayer with you. This next passage in our series I have found to be just as challenging as the rest that has gone before and it happens to coincide with a time in my life when I've been tempted to react or re retaliate to others. And I haven't done so well. But I appreciate that God, through his spirit, is using his word to touch my life as well. In this passage, we have Jesus' two final illustrations of 
those six that he gives to illustrate how he and his teaching have come to fulfill the law of God as it is found in the Old Testament. The first of these two has to do with the law of retribution, and the second has to do with whom we should love and shouldn't love. The first law that Moses quotes is a law found in several places in the Old Testament. There in Exodus, Leviticus, and Deuteronomy. It's also a principle of justice used in societies throughout the world and throughout history from before Moses and still up to today, even here in 21st century Scotland. It's called the law or the law of retribution or lex talionis in Latin. Now, speaking about eyes for eyes and teeth for teeth, as it does in the Old Testament, sounds quite gruesome. But basically, the principle behind this law of lex talionis is that if someone harms you and damages your property, they should have to pay equal compensation. No more and no less. If I'm in a car park and another person runs into my new car, by rule of law, I should expect them to pay for the damages to my car. If someone harms me physically, I should expect the law to exact an appropriate sanction and at the very least prevent these people from harming others in the same way. This principle is indeed foundational for any just society. I should hope that we all agree that retributive justice, as it's also known, is a good thing. Without retributive justice in a society, things would just spiral into anarchy. When Jesus therefore says, but I tell you, Do not resist an evil person. He can't be totally rejecting this very important principle of retributive justice. Again, in Jesus' own words, up in verse 17, Jesus isn't doing away with the law. He's not doing away with the law of retributive justice, but he says he has come to fulfill it. But how? How is Jesus fulfilling this lex talionis by telling his disciples to not resist the evil person? Well, I'd like to tell you that the Greek word for resist does not really mean resist. But sadly, it does. It is a word that is used elsewhere in the New Testament, and going there might help us to understand a bit more. Going to these other places in the New Testament where that word resist appears, it seems that those places contradict what Jesus is saying here. James and Peter in their letters tell us to to resist. They tell us to resist the ultimate evil person, the devil. 1 Peter 5, 9 and James 4, 7 say that. 
Well, surely these two saints, Peter and James, can't be contradicting Jesus, can they? Now, I might be going out on a limb here, but I don't believe that Jesus is saying, don't ever resist. Don't ever expect retributive justice. But what Jesus is saying is, don't be driven by exacting justice yourself for yourself. What Jesus is saying in my mind, he's been saying all along throughout the Gospels. And what he's been saying is that the the desire for justice is not at the most basic level what drives the people of Jesus. Justice is vitally important. We should be exercised in prayer and in our actions to see that justice is done in this world. But at the very foundation of the kingdom of God to which we belong is not lex talionis, not the law of retribution, but lex amoris, the law of love. Here again, Jesus is giving his followers an ethic of the kingdom. In the kingdom that has come in Jesus and will in Jesus be fulfilled someday, there will be no need for retribution because no one will do anyone else any harm or injury. Therefore, if we were to ask Jesus, as the Pharisees asked Jesus in the last illustration last week, if we were to ask him, why then did Moses command retribution? Why is it there in the Old Testament? Jesus would respond, I believe, in a similar fashion to the way he responded to the Pharisees. He'd say something like this, God through Moses commanded retribution Because of your hard hearts. It was not so at the beginning, he would say. And it will not be so when God brings everything to a glorious conclusion in the fulfillment of the kingdom. So that's how it will be in the kingdom. No harm and therefore no retribution. That's a great state of affairs to be looking forward to. But Jesus is saying in this passage that we should not resist now. Jesus is saying in this passage that we should not resist in a world where hearts are hard. And Jesus is saying this in a a world where to not resist is countercultural. And downright dangerous. Martin Luther King could tell you that. Following this seemingly impossible commandment, Jesus gives four concrete examples of how his type of non resistance might happen in the very real world of first century Roman occupied Palestine. And these four examples are shocking yet powerful. These four examples have been a catalyst for movements of radical social change around the world. 
These words of Jesus have inspired the likes of Leo Tolstoy, Mahatma Gandhi, Albert Schweitzer, Dietrich Bonhoeffer, Martin Luther King Jr., and many, many others. Now, these great proponents of nonviolence and civil disobedience all believe that Jesus here was saying something other than just be passive in the face of evil. They didn't believe that we should be doormats. But what they believed Jesus was saying is do not retaliate. If someone hits you, don't hit them back. Don't give like for like when it comes to evil. And he's also saying more. Jesus is saying more. He's saying instead of hitting back, do something else altogether. Do something that arises from the law of love. I like what one commentator said. He said that when someone offends you or makes an unfair request, like in these four examples, be ready for an act of grace. When someone hits you or offends you or makes an unfair request, be ready for an act of grace. These four examples are not laws that we are to follow to the letter. Although people have on occasion hit me in the face when I was younger, no one's ever yet sued me for my shirt, and no soldier has yet forced me to carry his gear for a mile. No, they're not to be taken literally. The gist of what Jesus is saying is when people mean to harm you, or when they try to take advantage of you, be creative in your response. Respond in a way that might expose the injustice of the situation without retaliation. And or respond in a way that gives blessing for cursing, love for harmful intent, grace for ire. I think what Jesus is saying is do a bit of Jesus jujitsu. Do you know jujitsu? It's a Japanese martial art. It is using an opponent's force against them. But in Jesus jujitsu, it's not using their force against them, it's using their evil intent and changing it up and changing it around. Jiu-jitsu literally means the yielding art. It's a way of yielding to your opponent that can open up creative ways of reconciliation and love. But why? Why should we respond to evil in Jesus' non-retaliatory way? In this world, surely the ethic of the kingdom will only work in the kingdom. And in the present world of hard hearts, we should stick to what works here. 
namely retributive justice, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. Hit back when you are hit. But Jesus calls his disciples to live by this kingdom ethic now. Jesus wants us to live by this ethic for two reasons. And the first reason he wants us to live by this ethic now in this world is because this is the way Jesus himself lived in this world. And we who are called by his name, his disciples, must live the way he lived. He is our rabbi. Think about it. Jesus was spat upon and slapped, just like in that first example. Jesus turned the other cheek. Jesus was abused and stripped naked, like in the second example. Jesus carried another's burden, namely yours and mine, though it was not his to carry. Jesus gave his all even to the point of death for those who had no right to ask it of him. Folks, please don't misunderstand what is being asked of us here. This is not some sort of lemming event that we are called to, following our Lord off the edge of a cliff in a noble yet futile sacrifice. The sacrifice that Jesus made and the suffering that we share with him are the exact opposite of futile. At the end of Jesus' suffering, he was raised from the dead. By his death and resurrection, Jesus has shown that the kingdom in the end will prevail. This kingdom ethic will prevail. And it will prevail against all the powers of hate and evil that seem so, so strong in our present age. The Apostle Peter put it best when he wrote to his beleaguered friends in Asia Minor. Do not repay evil with evil or insult with insult. On the contrary, repay evil with blessing. For it is better if it is God's will to suffer for doing good than for doing evil. For Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, to bring you to God. He was put to death in the body, but made alive in the spirit. Rejoice inasmuch as you participate in the sufferings of Christ so that you may be overjoyed when his glory is revealed. The second reason Jesus wants us to live the ethic of the kingdom now is so that we might reveal to a watching world that the kingdom of God is here, that it is breaking in, that it is real. That with the advent of Jesus, the kingdom has come. And with his spirit in our hearts, the kingdom is transforming 
ordinary people like you and me. In a word, this call to non-resistance or acts of grace is evangelistic. It is meant to attract. It is meant to be a catalyst for others to experience the new life that we have already received when we are followers of Jesus. And so we move on to the last of Jesus' illustrations as to how he fulfills the law of God. In verse 23, he uses his familiar formula. You have heard that it was said, and he quotes a bit of Old Testament. With a bit that Jesus quotes seems to be his favorite verse. Love your enemy. Love your neighbor. (laughs) Love your neighbor. He says it more than once in the Gospels. But then Jesus tacks on other words. Hate, but hate your enemies. You have heard that it was said, love your neighbors, but hate your enemies. But hate your enemies. These extra words appear nowhere in the Old Testament. But there is a certain logic to these words, isn't there? There's a certain logic that's very common in our world that was probably just as common in Jesus' day. We might reject the thought of hating our enemies, hating anyone But it is what we all do. We love those who love us. But we hate those who hate us. Those who are in your group, those who look like you and talk like you and think like you are the easiest to love, aren't they? It's hard to love folks who are different to you. And it's extra hard to love those who have hurt you with their words and sometimes with their deeds. But that is exactly what Jesus commands. Love your enemies. Pray for those who persecute you. And again, the reason we are commanded to love our enemies is because that is exactly what Jesus has done in loving and redeeming us. Paul says as much in Romans 5, while we were his enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son. And so we come to the end of Jesus' explanation and illustrations about his fulfillment of the law. Think, if you will, through that list that we've covered already. Look at that injunction to not let anger get the best of you and be reconciled as a matter of ultimate priority. Think about the commandment to put to death every lustful thought which objectifies other human beings. Ponder the instruction about faithfulness in marriage. Consider the mandate to forswear retaliation 
and to love your enemies. Maybe before reading the teachings of Jesus, I was thinking, I'm doing quite well with what God requires of me. I know how to handle myself. I'm an educated man. I've been around the block. All I need from God is a little encouragement and a pat on the back. But having read the words of Jesus, I find myself in a place where I can only say, I'm really not doing very well at all of this. And then we come to the last line of our passage. To sum up this whole teaching on fulfillment of the law, Jesus says, be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. Well, that's the nail in the coffin, isn't it? How is that ever possible? Jesus is not saying here, unless you are perfect, you will never get into heaven. No, that's not what he's saying. What he is saying is, don't think that you have as yet attained perfection. There's still a long way to go, Mike. Don't be complacent. Keep working at it. It's not just a matter of the law. That would be easy. It's a matter of your heart. And that is infinitely difficult. Yes, strive for perfection. But still, striving for perfection isn't the whole story here either. I love what one of my collaborators said on Tuesday night when we were looking at this passage. She said, to not resist evil like Jesus instructs us takes a whole lot of courage. I couldn't agree more. But I'd also, say, I'd also like to add that it takes a lot of practice it takes a lot of discipline, and it takes a family. It takes a whole lifetime to achieve as an individual and together with others. And even then, none of us fully gets it right. My friend also said in reference to the necessity for courage, and I would apply this to the necessity for practice and discipline and family life too, that in Scripture, the injunction to have all those things, courage, practice, and discipline, and good community, always come with the promise that God will be with us. Here are words from Joshua. Now, back then, Joshua was encouraging the people when they were moving into the promised land. Be courageous, he says. But know that courage only comes with the presence of God. And God promises to be there wherever we go and in whatever circumstances we find ourselves. Whether it be before a hostile enemy, under a heavy burden that we've been forced to carry, or robbed of our shirt and our cloak as well. Brothers and sisters, Let's appropriate Joshua's words for ourselves. 
knowing that in Christ we can do all things because and only because he is with us. He strengthens us. Let's be mindful that he is the only one who is perfect. And yet, and yet he offers to us his perfection as we abide in him. Learning to give grace to others just as grace has been given to us. Now, once again, I must say, we would usually have an offering, but we're not able to do that just yet. But I do, and we do, appreciate all that uh, people give, all that you give in terms of money, but also in time and talents. This last week we had a session meeting, and our finances are looking quite good despite despite this pandemic and despite not being able to have an offering in public worship. But thank you. Thank you for finding creative ways of giving. Let's just give our offering to God. Let's lift up our offering to God. Lord, thank you for these folks, these folks here in church, those watching and those in our community who support the work of your church here. We pray your blessing on them. And we pray that you would use what we offer to further your kingdom amongst us here in Bigger, but throughout the world as well. Our prayers of intercession this morning uh, come from the Saint Anselm of Canterbury. And I think they are very pertinent. It is a personal prayer. So let's make this personal to each one of us. Almighty and tender Lord Jesus Christ, just as I have asked you to love my friends, so I ask you the same for my enemies. And we think of those who we might consider our enemies or who might themselves consider themselves our enemies. You alone, Lord, are mighty. You alone are merciful. Whatever you make me desire for my enemies, give it to them and give the same back to me. If I ever ask for them anything which is outside your perfect rule of love, whether through ignorance, weakness, or malice, Good Lord, do not give it to them and do not give it back to me. You who are the true light, lighten their darkness. You who are the whole truth, correct their errors. You who are the incarnate word, give life to their souls. Tender Lord Jesus, 
Let me not be a stumbling block to them, nor a rock of offense. Let them be reconciled with you and through you reconciled to me. That we all may live in freedom, in the freedom of the children of the living God. And in the words of Martin Luther Jr. King, that we, through your grace, may matriculate into the university of eternal life. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.